Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day! Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and, and pass the ammunition. I tell you, um, we, you know, Zach, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today because sure uh, we have the those uh, cheerleaders that were shot at in Maynard. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Department of Public Safety is patrolling Austin, Texas, and we're going to talk about that. Now, that's going on. Uh, Austin Police Department said they're short, you know, almost 300 police officers, so they need assistance. So we're going to, you know, talk to some people about that. Um, Chris Harris is uh, on the phone uh, with the Austin Justice Coalition, Coalition, and we're going to talk to him about that and see what's going on. You know, their take, you know, their stance on, you know, how they feel about what's happening with DPS in, in the Austin Police Department. Going to talk about the homeless situation here in Austin. You know, also... Uh, we're going to talk about, um, remember that shooting that happened? Uh, the guy that actually had the AR-15, and he thought someone was inside of his home, so he was shooting inside of his home. In East Austin? Right, in East Austin. Rajesh Moonsing? Yeah, M- Mr. Moonsing. We're, we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, so, you know, let's get right into it. So I want to bring into the conversation uh, Chris Harris. Chris, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, Chris, you know, the Austin Police Department, you say they're short uh, 300 officers um, and they're having a hard time keeping up with the 911 calls and all that stuff. Uh, they don't have enough, you know, boots on the ground, so they need assistance from the Department of Public Safety, the state police. 
Uh, and I was just, I'm, I'm curious, you know, where in the world is the sheriff? Where is the Travis County Sheriff's Department? Because I thought the way it's supposed to go is, you know, you have the city police, and then if the city can't handle it, you have the county. County steps in. They can't handle it. Then they ask for the, you know, the state police, the DPS. I thought that was the hierarchy. You know, that was just my impression. Uh, but, well, you know, what's your take on what's going on here in Austin, Texas? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what's going on with the county, I think, really speaks to the broader issues that APD is facing that, that aren't just unique to Austin. Right. Uh, you saw in Dallas, Mayor Johnson up there, you know, really begging, you know, uh, law enforcement to come work in Dallas because they're short, too. And, and that's also the situation that you see at Travis County. Uh, you've got, um, you know, um, real shortages of folks to work, particularly at the jail um, that that um, the, the sheriff there has been dealing with. And, and I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, around the country, you see police departments struggling to, to retain folks, struggling to recruit and attract folks. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a bigger issue with uh, with policing in general, as far as you know, there you know a lot of the staffing issues that are going on. Okay, uh, so the you how do you think the DPS is actually handling their job? Because uh, the Austin Police Department, you know, they're saying that you know crime is down since DPS has been patrolling in Austin, and a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, reach out to different. Uh, different citizens in North Austin, Central Austin, South Austin. We've gone out on the streets there and talked to people, and they say they feel a lot safer now because now we have troopers that are patrolling, and it seems like crime is down in just over, you know, just just in two weeks. Yeah, so, you know, I think um, there are definitely duties that Austin police, um, you know, could, could probably use help with. Uh, I don't – and I think – I think the question is, is what DPS is doing, how what what they're actually doing, uh, uh, a reliable, sustainable way to reduce crime, and is it also you know causing more harm than it's helping? So, you know, unfortunately, what we see is particularly in low-income communities of color, a lot, a lot of heavy, heavy patrols, uh, and a lot of low-level traffic stops. Um, which appear to be pretext stops, and and there's no evidence that these types of patrols, in the long term, are are going to help reliably reduce violence in the community. Uh, and but we do know that it's going to rope a lot more people uh, into the criminal legal system. So they're going to deal with car impoundments. They're going to deal with bail fees. They're going to deal with potentially criminal histories. Uh, they're going to deal with all the things that come. Uh, potentially a criminal, uh, you know, uh, inability to get jobs and things like that down the line with these these interactions. And, you know, if, and if we're not talking about actually interrupting someone committing some sort of violent act, then then I question whether or not it's really about improving safety or if it's really about the, the, the idea of the theater of safety, um, because some some people feel more safe when they have when they see police officers around. But of course, many don't. So, I, I, for us, it's a really a question of what are they doing, uh, and and how can they actually meaningfully contribute to safety in our community? And there are some things that definitely should be done, right? Like we understand that uh, you know their specialty is traffic enforcement. So um, we've had a lot more traffic fatalities. We understand there's a lot more dangerous driving going on. Most of those fatalities happen on the freeways, uh, which are already state property. 
this this seems like a very useful use of their skills. But again, what we're seeing where they're just blanketing certain communities, which happen to be the areas with the most black and brown folks, uh, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem just. And it doesn't seem like over the long haul it's going to meaningfully improve the safety. Okay. And what, what some people are saying, Chris, is that, um, and we're, we're talking with Chris Harris, and, and you were at Austin Justice Coalition, right? That's correct. I have, yes, that's I have, okay, good. All right, so we're talking with Chris Harris, <clears throat> and we're talking about DPS, Department of Public Safety. Uh, we're talking about, you know, is it good to have DPS here assisting the Austin Police Department with, uh, with crime issue, reducing crime, or augmenting them a little bit because they're short some 300 officers? Uh, because the report from the Austin Police Department between March 30th and April 3rd, uh, they actually were 1,570 traffic stops, 765 citations, 15 crash investigations, 52 felony arrests, 31 misdemeanor arrests, six stolen vehicles recovered, 11 firearms seized, 174 grams of cocaine seized, 40 grams of heroin heroin seized, uh, 127,415 grams of methamphetamine. Um, man, uh, what is exact? Thank you. Methamphetamine uh, seized and three street takeover events were actually, you know, stopped because of DPS. So we're talking about is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? You know, what's going on? You know, what's your take on it? Our call in number is 512-643-5483. That is 512-643-5483. Give me a call and let me know what's your take on is DPS doing a good thing? Um, is it a bad thing? Uh, is this an over? Are we over policing people that are typically over policed? Uh, or are they targeting? Because some people are saying, hey, they're just going into those areas that are high crime areas and that's typically where the crimes are and that's where they're sending the police officers or they're sending dps so let's we come back give me a call 512-643-5483 this is michael cargill and you are listening to come and talk it peace this is maj Toure. you're listening to come and talk radio with michael cargill Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking about the Department of Public Safety of Texas actually augmenting the Austin Police Department and helping them reduce crime. So according to the ACLU, ACLU says DPS has a record of making communities across Texas less safe. Uh, from DPS lethal mismanagement during the Uvalde school shooting to their anti-immigrant role in Abbott's Operation Lone Star, they've shown a lack of accountability, transparency, and and concern for local for the locals. Uh, the ACLU concluded this message by saying that we can't arrest our way out of homelessness, unemployment, and poverty, and that investing in services like affordable housing and job training is a more effective solution than over policing. And intimidation. And that's from the ACLU. Uh, so they also go on to say the DPS has no place patrolling Austin, monitoring our communities and criminalizing our neighbors. The organization added uh, ACLU continues to say that they have reason to worry that DPS's involvement will lead to more stops and citations, creating unnecessary contacts with law enforcement, especially for people of color. So we have on, on the phone, uh, uh, Chris uh, with Austin Justice Coalition. And so, and Chris Harris, you know, what's, what's your take on that and what the ACLU says? Yeah, I, I largely agree with that. You know, I think, you know, you, you mentioned about, you know, the the reason that, you know, that's been given that DPS might be patrolling certain neighborhoods over other, right, that they're uh, quote-unquote high crime areas. And, and I mean, I, I understand the logic, but just because you live in an area that has quote unquote high crime, and we, we can talk about what types of crime we're even we're not including and not including that definition, but that doesn't mean that you've caused harm. It doesn't mean that you should be uh, subjected to you know sort of rampant traffic stops and, and potential criminalization. It doesn't mean that you should feel fear to leave your house every day. Um, just because you live in, in an area like this doesn't mean that 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 you should be, um, you know, harassed. So to me, again, the question is, what is actually effective at preventing uh, crime? What actually will, particularly the, the worst types, the most violent crime and, and forms of harm? And, and how can we deploy resources in a way that's going to do that, uh, not just do this thing where we have a bunch of people, police that are around, so it looks like, every, you know, there's, there's something going on, but, but in fact, you know, we're just seizing mostly possession level drugs and 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 you know fewer guns that'll be that'll be bought at Walmart in the next half hour and not really meaningfully impacting people's safety. Okay. So and I know that uh the jails in Travis County for I think two weekends in a row were actually pretty packed. Um I'm here there was actually chaos down there at the jail. So many uh people that were brought in had a hard time keeping up. You know, but these were but these were these were actually arrests that were justified. You know, people people actually committed crimes. And DPS says, hey, their job is to, you know, is to follow state law. You know, they're they're law enforcement officers. So their job is to enforce all laws as as they would in any community. They say they're very consistent. You know, what's your your take on that, Chris? Well, you know, I I have no doubt. Well, I I have some doubt about that. But, you know, I think the. The the overarching issue is where are they deployed and why, right? Like um, there's um, plenty of, you know, DWI, domestic violence, um, uh, dr drug use, um, even illegal gun ownership 
in all parts of the city, uh, but they're concentrating their patrols just in certain neighborhoods. And again, it's just not, it's not fair. And then of course, there's a whole bunch of things that are technically crimes, things like wage theft, things like, like a whole lot of white collar crimes that there are really no one out trying to, to find the people, you know, crashing the global economy and, and, and ruining people's retirements. Like, no, instead we're gonna just, you know, hyper patrol certain neighborhoods, pull over everyone, whether we have a reason to or not, and fish. Uh, to see if these people might, you know, have some drugs or a gun on them. And, you know, it's, again, this is more security theater than than actual safety, in my view. All right. So, uh, well, the most <clears throat> dangerous neighborhoods we have is in Georgian Acres. That's in North Austin there, like Northeast Austin. And the residential areas, you know, is has a population of like 9,600 and, and the worst levels of crime in the city. And the crime rate in that area, Georgian Acres, is like 10,925 per 100,000 according in, in 2022 which is a whopping 365% higher than national average. So that's the area that, you know, they sent the DPS troopers to actually patrol in that area uh to the highest crime areas that we have actually in the city. Again, crime based on where the police have been before. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of self-reinforcement with a lot of crime statistics. If I never patrol in West Austin, then I never find any crime. And my stats will never say this is a high crime area, right? So there's a lot of self-reinforcement as it comes to this. And then the other thing, of course, when you talk about crime is what are we talking about? Is this something actually causing harm that that needs to be intervened in immediately? Is this a crime against the state? Is this a crime against property? And then if so, what actually is the right intervention? Uh, again, you know, you can take somebody poor off the street for some minor crime against property, uh, but they're going to come out at some point in the not too distant future. They're still going to be poor now, even poorer, probably with less to their name. And, and what is the most likely uh, scenario for that person? So, again, are we actually meaningfully interrupting you know, harmful behaviors and, 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 and making our community safer? Or are we just pretending to do something about it by putting folks in jail for a little bit and then, you know, bringing them back to the community even worse off than before a few months or years later? All right. And, and so you're, think, you're saying that, you know, the people's, you know, they're, they, they're, ha they're having an experience in a false sense of security there because they're feeling safe now over the last two weeks because – we're not, you know, a lot of people are not hearing gunshots like they, you know, were in the last two years uh, in certain neighborhoods. You're, you're not hearing random, you know, what we call desk pops or whatever. People driving down the road just firing shots in the air for no reason. That had actually has come to almost complete halt in this entire city. And then you're not seeing, you know, not seeing people at the gas stations who are getting, uh, getting robbed at the gas station. I'm not seeing 13, 14, 15 year olds that actually going to 7-Eleven and holding up 7-Eleven at, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. That has actually come down to a complete halt and that, you know, for the last two weeks. I mean, I, I haven't seen, you know, data about any of that sort of stuff. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of that behavior is, is what I, I would consider harmful and requires some intervention. So, you know, again, I, I think there's Right at this point, we, we all we have is a lot of anecdotes and stories, and, and that includes us, too. Right. Those of us talking about uh, the over policing and the harassment. Now, what, uh, what would be your what would be your solution? 
So what would be your solution? Um, instead of APD requesting the assistance from DPS, um, how would you think we should actually handle the issues that we're having in this city as far as crime? Yeah, well, again, I think it very much depends on what exactly it is you're talking about. Because, you know, again, all crime is not the same. There are, there are crimes that are actually meaningful, harmful, that cause harm to other people and require intervention. Then there's crimes against the state and crimes against property, which uh, overwhelmingly might benefit from some different type of prevention-oriented uh, approach rather than, you know, having people immediately intervene and put people in jail for a little bit, but and then they come back out worse off. So, um, you know, if we're talking about the issue of, you know, of gun violence, again, you know, I think that um, there's there's a lot that can be done with regard to meaningfully intervening with the communities and people that have been impacted by that, meaning firstly, having folks that establish relationships in those communities, people that already are from those communities, uh, that you know, are ambassadors for for conflict intervention, conflict resolution, so that we don't see cycles of violence. I think, you know, honestly, we, my personal take, and I know you will disagree on this, is we should have a very different approach to how we do, how we, um, you know, allow people to sell, particularly uh, guns uh, in the country, and, and to, in order to reduce access to a lot of different types of guns. Um, and and then I think that, you know, obviously in some cases where there's a harm being caused right now in this moment, you, you need someone to intervene. You need someone to go and and to, to stop that. And obviously that's a role that's uh, currently performed by police. So, uh, I, again, it just it really does depend on what it is that you're dealing with. I think when you look at, you know, things like um, um, where, you know, there's lots of sex work and things like that or drug trade going on. The, the the evidence is really clear that the war on drugs has not worked at all. Drugs are more accessible, more deadly uh, uh, than they've ever been after 40 years. Um, you know, criminalizing sex work has not reduced it. It's the, called the oldest profession for a reason. So we really have to take different tacks with a lot of the things that are called crime today as well. All right. We come back from the break. I'm going to ask Chris about, you know, the crimes that are against person, because right now the things that people have complained about for the last two years in 2020 and 2021 and the well, last three years in 2022 was that, you know, the fact that business owners are getting broken into um, and that, you know, people are being ladies are being assaulted as they're trying to jog, or, you know, in the morning or in the evening, afternoon, whatever their homes are being broken into. Um, we don't have police are not responding, you know, to those 911 calls because they say they don't have enough police officers on the street. Uh, to handle that. So I'm curious, you know, how do we solve that problem? Um, and then we'll talk about the drugs. And I also want to talk about Moon Singh, Mr. Moon Singh, and also that shooting. We come back from the break and I'll talk about all that. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking with Chris Harris with the Austin Justice Coalition, and we're talking about uh, crime in Austin, Texas, or major cities around the country, really. Uh, we we're focusing on Austin, uh, but it seems to be the same thing in all of these cities. You know, your, your big, large cities, where it's Houston, Dallas, Austin, you know, Minneapolis, you know, New York. Seems to be the same common theme where, you know, with short on officers... And we're, I think we're in, a, we're in a great place when we're talking about police accountability. Um, we do need to hold our police officers accountable, absolutely. And we need, I think we need more police officers on top of that. Uh, but, you know, there's some people that think, uh, you know, a different way. And Chris, you know, thinks a little differently uh, that, and I believe it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Chris, you think we need less officers and we need to focus on our resources on other things. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You know, we've we, we're still spending about um, you know more than a third of um, of the city's budget. And if you look city, around the country, city after city, it's you know anywhere from a third to forty plus percent of, of of resources go into policing. And and you know I don't I, you know this strategy really you know I don't if we if we look around the world. Um, is not one that's particularly successful comparatively uh, to similar countries that uh, tout, you know, democratic styles of governance and open markets. Um, you know, on the whole, our cities aren't as safe as their cities. All right. So, so and, and, and OK, yeah. so the, the problem that people, I think people are upset about is the fact that we have district attorneys like the district attorney we have here in Travis County. Uh, when someone is arrested, you know, and there it's a repeat arrest. Same person arrested over and over and over again, and they tend to graduate and get more and more aggressive. Their crimes get a little more serious each time after the arrest. But the DA is not taking up the charge and prosecuting that person. Um, and then, behold, you know, down the road, then this person ends up killing someone, you know, commits murder. When we had the chance to stop that, you know, at the lower level. Yeah, I have to question the premise of that. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sure there are some anecdotes about individuals like that, but I'm not sure there's evidence that this is a pervasive problem of people gradually stepping up their level of harm they're causing because of some inaction by, you know, uh, some part of the, the criminal legal system. I think that, um, and again, I, I think there's, 
there's there's two sides to, to all of this stuff. One is the intervention for the harmful thing happening right now, which, of course, should happen. Uh, but are we actually doing all we can to prevent things from occurring? And do, do, we, do we actually focus on the, the creating a sort of uh, communities, environments where, uh, you know, our young people grow into uh, people that, uh, you know, respect, you know, other people's autonomy, property, safety, uh, consent, uh, and, and also have the means to, 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 to actually become, um, you know, a, a productive member of their community uh, by I, virtue of having I, a good school and, and opportunity. Um, and if we're not doing those things, then, then I, I don't know what we would expect um, of, of, of particularly folks coming up in our communities. Chris, you brought up a good point earlier about the uh, war on drugs and how the restrictions on drugs basically, uh, you know, are not effective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with the sex work. You know, the the restrictions in place just create this underground uh, market for that, right? That's right, and those underground markets breed more violence, uh, which you know I think is. It's not solely responsible for the violence that we see in our communities, but it is part of it. Yeah, so the restrictions, uh, they really don't work there. And But then you mentioned that you thought that firearms should be restricted uh, more the way they're sold in gun stores. Did you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, well, you know, I won't. This is not an area of expertise for me, so I, I want to preface this with that. But yeah, I think that um, I, I'm not a supporter of. I think the the more general uh, gun possession uh, crimes that that you see, and the the approach to criminalizing individual gun owners that you see, I, I don't I think that's ineffective. And honestly, because of how police patrol and 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 how they operate, it ends up having huge racial discriminatory impacts um, that are unjust. But I do think that um, you know that. The big difference that we have from so many other places in the world that are similar but are safer is that we have these these loosened restrictions on on the, the manufacturer, the sale, uh, and ultimately the way that you can carry them. And and you know I, I operate in the world that I live in, not in like a, a fantasy world. So I, I'm not necessarily uh, saying I think we can do something major about that overnight, but I do think that. Um, that, you know, those countries point a way forward in terms of really improving at least at least our safety as it relates to, you know, uh, being victims of gun crime. All right. So let's take, um, you know, you, you know, the majority of your your gun crimes are going to be your, you know, smaller handguns, semi-automatic handguns and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. not going to be your, you know, they're not they don't use rifles shotguns, things of those nature, uh, to commit right. the majority of those crimes. So it's typically your handguns. So I don't know how we would stop that because we already have, you know, you have a ton of laws in place already. You know, you're not allowed to kill someone. You can't murder someone, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, kind of help me out a little more. You know, how would we go about doing this? You know, what can we do? I'm, I'm looking for some real solutions here. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not I'm the impression that this is in any way a <laughs> possibility in the short term. But you, you have countries that have banned, you know, specific types of guns like handguns. And I think to really positive effect, um, again, I, I'm, I, I'm not 
I don't I don't think there's an issue with rifles and shotguns and a lot of things really more designed to kill animals uh, than than the stuff that's you know makes it much easier to kill people. Right. Um, do you, so, do you, do you, you own know, any think, firearms yourself? Uh, <laughs> I will uh, decline to answer that question. Ah, I take that as a yes. <laughs> you can tell me I'm your friend. <laughs> Okay. All right. So if we banned all handguns, let's say, do you think that the criminals who would use them in crimes would turn them over to law enforcement or they would keep them? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I think that, um, you know, where you've seen bands of handguns, uh, executed, um, there are, you know, periods of time where, you know, people are allowed to turn them in or, or trade them in. Uh, and then, you know, following, you know, some point in time, then the the guns were, you know, if that particular type of gun, which was no longer able to be sold, uh, were found, then it were confiscated. So I think, you know, it's not a overnight thing by any stretch and hasn't been in the countries that have done it. But um, but but I think over the time with, you know, really limiting, um, you know, just the number of guns out there in a, in a real way, not the way that happens with these pretext traffic stops where, again, what they say, they see the 11 guns in, in a couple of weeks. I mean, again, you're going to see more guns sold at Walmart, you know, here in a few minutes than, than that. So that's not a meaningful, you know, way to address this issue in my mind. Yeah, well, Walmart, they actually stopped selling guns. They don't sell guns anymore, and they sell very little ammunition. Now, so do, do you think that we should only have police officers? They, they should be the only ones that actually have the firearms? Um, well, you know, I think that you see in countries like the UK, um, what 89, 90% of their officers don't carry guns either. Um, I, you know, I think obviously you can't, <laughs> you can't, uh, you know, disarm one side and not, and without, with, you know, you can't disarm the, the, the police and, and allow the, the, the community to continue to have them. I don't, I don't, I don't get that, but I do think that. You know, ideally, and again, I'm. This is a an ideal scenario, not necessarily something I think that is in any way on the table or po possible in the short term at sure. all here. But sure. but I think that that that's a good way to reduce gun crime. And again, UK has very very little uh, gun crime, and they also have very very few uh, killings by police. Okay. And Mike, let me hop up in here. This is Harvey. Uh, Chris, I, I like a lot of the stuff you've been saying, but in the last few minutes, as we're getting into like you know, less police officers, less guns. I mean, especially here in Texas, I just don't think that's realistic, especially the guns. What I would say is that, um, I agree with you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is a, you're getting to like a little bit of a, uh, can of worms here. So like what I would say is that, you know, we just passed constitutional carry here in Texas, which would help alleviate some of these issues with police officers stopping, uh, individuals for guns indiscriminately. But uh, what I what I always a bit what I've been saying here on Come and Talk it is really that we need police officers to enforce uh, laws against violent crimes. Right? If if it's a violent crime, we need to make sure we're taking care of it. But like you said, we have drugs, we have uh, nonviolent crimes, and we don't need road pirates. We don't need police officers stopping people for uh, for their. Uh, registration for a license plate that's that's not on the front end there's various different things like that where we see uh 
DPS coming in and busting people for marijuana again, right? Like if they were coming in and they were taking care of violent crime, I think that would be better. But really, this is something if if the if Austin Police Department really wanted to address this issue, they would be focusing on violent criminals rather than all of this, the very insignificant traffic violence or traffic uh, issues, uh, drug, drug crime, stuff like that. What, what is your take on that? Is there is there something where we can where we can better focus police officers attention here to solve the problem? I think so, for sure. And I, and I agree with that. I think, you know, rather than, again, um, you know, going after people even just for, for gun possession, you know, really the use of a gun is, is going to be your telltale sign that, uh, in, in a harmful way, is going to be your telltale sign that, that you know, somebody is, is, one, has done something harmful, but also that they, you know, might do it again in the future. Uh, what we see from the data is that, you know, people that just own a gun that are being, you know, criminalized for that, uh, by and large, they've never, you know, they haven't committed crimes in the past and they won't in the future. So that's just a big sweep of, of people. And again, often ends up being people based on what community they live in or the color of their skin. So um, I think, I'm sorry, I might, I might have missed the, the question. No, you're fine. You're fine. So, yeah, we were talking about, uh, the, the first part you answered. What I was saying was that I've been talking about here on Come and Talk It is is making sure police officers are not road pirates. They're not stopping people for for low level possession of drugs. They're not stopping people to give someone a ticket. And I think probably what a lot is stopping right now in DPS is they're saying, oh, you know, you don't have your registration, you don't have the right uh, tag, something like that. Especially here in Austin, there's a lot of people that have said, oh, well, the cops are not out. I don't need to get this. Um, is there a way we can refocus police officers' attention? Because, uh, like you said, if someone is committing like a crime with a gun, there's not enough police officers in the city to focus to get that taken care of. I would say that if Austin PD really wanted to make a big difference, they would be specifically focusing on violent crime over anything else. Is, do you think there's something that that like our police officers or even DPS could be doing to to have a better focus in one area rather than just like you would say and and I would agree with indiscriminately going out throughout Austin and just busting individuals for all sorts of crime, whether it's insignificant or big. And I'll let you answer that on the other side of the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Stephen Williford, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what I'm seeing. I, I don't want I don't want my numbers to go up as far as like a lot of arrests, you know, people put in jail and having to 
you know, getting an attorney and all that stuff. What I want is I want to see the police officer in uniform and the criminals are afraid to commit the crimes they want to commit because a police officer is present. And I think that's the goal and that's the purpose by showing a, a show of force by just having that presence there in the city. You know, I jump on the Interstate 35 and I'm driving on Interstate 35. You see a police officer there in that middle lane. It makes everyone tend to not do not cross across, you know, like four lanes of traffic in a, in a second, you know, not, you know, make that left turn in, in the middle of the road uh, or that U-turn. You're not supposed to do it or run that red light or run that stop sign and actually cause an accident. Uh, so just by having that police presence, I think it actually has, you know, it it shows something and it reduces something. And I think that's a great thing. I think having a DPS troopers here is definitely a good thing because I'm not hearing those gunshots. I'm not, you know, seeing the the reports um, on none of my, you know, my apps that I get all of my reporting from of a crime happening over here or happening over there. Uh, someone shot here, someone shot there. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that stuff being has been reduced I don't know why. I can't explain it why, but I'm just saying the numbers are down, and everywhere that I see it. You want to, and you probably want to rephrase your question and ask it one more time. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, this is the topic I've been I've been talking about on Come and Talk it for a while. I I've always said that if if we want to have some uh some big changes here in Austin, that we should stop having road piracy, pirates on the road, which are essentially police officers stopping people for for low level possession of drugs for minor traffic crimes, and truly going after hard criminals, uh, murder, rape, you know, if you actually have gunshots going on, investigating those crimes. And so that's my proposal. Having having the Austin PD shift focus to that, and also if we're going to invite DPS in, having their focus be on true crimes rather than these insignificant crimes such as small amount, amount of... Uh, drug possession, and these insignificant traffic and uh, citations. Hey, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think on the whole, I agree with that. You know, the, you know, when you, you know, the done analysis of 911 calls, you know, that like 40% of them are like disturbance calls. Um, and the vast majority of those don't result in any sort of police report. Uh, you know, I think a lot of them can be chalked up as like, I saw someone I don't recognize in my neighborhood, uh, you know, please come and take a look at it, stuff like that. You know, we're talking about less than 2% of calls are about some sort of actual violent thing in progress. Um, there's there's the manpower to deal with those issues, I, I think, uh, even even now. I think the, the problem is, is that when you have this tug of war between actually addressing the things that are causing the most harm and this desire uh, by by some of the community, I think that you just expressed, Michael, to, to just see a lot of police all the time. Um, I think those two things are, are somewhat in conflict. Like, it's hard to have a, a constant presence everywhere uh, and, and also be concentrating on actually solving the things that, the bad things that happen. And, and I think what the data shows is that that's the, you know, of course, a police officer is going to deter something right around them. People are not generally going to commit a lot of things right in their presence, though some some Friday, Saturday nights on 6th Street, you know, uh, might <laughs> might go against that. But then also the just the idea that you will be caught, uh, meaning you were investigated and 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 you were caught and, and everyone knows that you did something. 
that's the big deterrent. It's not the prison sentence. It's not the length of the prison sentence. It's the act of being caught. Now, when you talk about patrolling, this last thing is, you know, I hear you. you you're less likely to speed or do something in the presence of an officer. And I, and I think if there's a role for DPS here on the freeways, it makes the most sense to me. But, you know, often what we'll see, and I think that's what's going to be interesting as time moves forward with this, is is that, you know, harmful things will just move, right? They'll just move where police are not. And unless you actually want to live in a police state where there's a policeman visible on every corner all hour of every day, um, that is not a meaningful, um, you know, that's not a long-term solution to preventing the sort of behaviors that, that we all find harmful. All right. Yeah, let me ask you one more thing then. Um, so uh, I, I think there's something that you were saying earlier, Chris, about having, you know, police officers more engaged in their communities. Michael's saying having, you know, trying to have more police officers present. I would say that community policing was a good thing. Having, you know, police officers on a certain block actually in the community making themselves known, that's a little bit of both, right? Being in the community and then also having that presence there. Is that something that you would agree with or what's your take on that? I mean, I think in theory, yeah. I mean, and it, and honestly, it does a little bit of both things, right? Because then you also, if you're trusted by the community and you know people in the community, then like you're more easily able to leverage those relationships to actually find out who did something when something bad happened. I think, unfortunately, the reality is that we just haven't seen it work like that, at least not for long periods of time. And honestly, I think it's, again, about these dueling priorities that the public, that a lot of people in the business, a lot of business interests, you know, give police so such that the institution often ends up going back in this way of, you know, let's just do the drug war again <laughs> and criminalize a bunch of folks and, and deter trust. And then obviously, like you see, you know, them actively fight accountability and transparency. Uh, which also breeds distrust. And so it's, you know, uh, you know, I think for, for, you know, me and my organization, it's, it's really the institution that, um, that, that we're very skeptical of. And, and I think many of the tasks that they have and the duties, not all of them, uh, but many of them are needed, but, but we're not sure that they're the right institution to, to do them because of, of, because of this history. I hear you. I mean, like, I, I, I think that there are things that we should be doing. I think I think that would be one of the things, though, is, is st- ending the drug war, right? Getting to community policing, not just community policing, but hiring people within their communities. But this goes to a bigger question. This is why I think I think there should be hard line things that we should be doing within in our criminal justice and law enforcement that just politicians and, and people in general are just not taking seriously and they're not doing. But there are individuals like you that say we essentially – and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, that we need to do away with this institution, what would we do without some type of peacekeeper institution? I'm not, and I'm not insinuating that currently police officers are a peacekeeping institution. I'm saying they should be. Well, I, you know, I think that, I, I think, again, I, I operate in the world of today, and then I have my, my, <laughs> my pie in the sky long-term. I don't, I don't ever envision seeing that world exist, you know, idea of utopia, right? And and I I think I would love to live in a world that was free of all forms of coercion, both and that includes interpersonal and from the state. Um, meaning that no one's going to tell me <laughs> what to do or how to live or how to be. Uh, because because but but obviously that can't happen unless there's a, a you know a 
a different type of society that where we're not constantly having lots of conflict, we're not constantly having lots of, you know, things that make it difficult for us to all live live harmoniously. So um, I, I think, you know, that's that's where that mindset comes from. But I think in the short term, it's really about what can what can we do today uh, uh, better, uh, maybe with different people, um, or if it's the same people, like how can it be better uh, such that it's more fair, more just, and actually reduces harm, reduces violence the most, um, and and you know, and really just constantly questioning that and trying to um, never just take things for granted about how how things are. All right. Now, keep in mind, you know, you know, here in Austin, we've had some really crazy things happen. You know, remember the Austin bombing? Remember that? Remember the rock oh, yeah. thrower? Remember that person mm-hmm. that was throwing the rocks and stuff like that? Um, and then, you, you know, you go back to other things like um, and then you think of how the, some of these people were caught. You know, uh, you think of the Oklahoma City bombers. You know, Thomas Harrison uh, mentioned this is that he was caught because of issues with his vehicles, his vehicle, just simple little paperwork issue with the vehicle. Um, or light out or something that, you know, something very minor, and that's how he was caught. Uh, you go to the 6th Street shooter that we had that did the mass shooting on 6th Street. Uh, he actually was involved in, you know, another shooting prior to that shooting, but he wasn't prosecuted for the first shooting, so he was allowed to do the second shooting. So, and this is this has happened time and time again. You look If you look at some of the things that have actually happened here in Austin, um, and it's not the first time that that person's been in trouble with law enforcement, but they weren't prosecuted by the district attorney. Um, and you just pick any any situation, any case, and I'll and I'll, I'll show you where this person actually had some type of issue, um, and nothing was done about it. And it and it goes back eventually goes back to like the DA's office or, or it could be a family issue, you know, something as simple as that. You know, family not doing what they're supposed to do on their side. So, it's you know when when all these things fail then I think it's it's right for law enforcement to step in and do what they need to do. So we do need, I think we need more police officers out on the street uh, to handle this stuff. We come back from the break, we'll talk about this and more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Man, as we overlook the West Lake Hills Sky Cam and look across the downtown Austin, nice and gloomy and cool out there. Hope you're enjoying your day today. Um, let's go to some comments that I'm seeing online here. ATX Pam says, I wonder if Chris is familiar with the knife violence statistics in the UK. Uh, someone else says the UK knife angel. Um, and someone's angle. Angle? What's that? What's the knife angle? Uh, it's not angel. It's not angel. It's angle. Angle. Okay. All right. And then driving is state. Driving is a state sanctioned privilege. Therefore, you should understand about traffic stops. Um, what exactly is a low level traffic violation? Uh, failure to stop at a stop sign. Failure to signal lane change. Distracted driving kills. Uh, we live in a happy world of, you know, sun and something. And then law-abiding citizens follow the laws. Sometimes we slip up and speed or not follow the laws. The LEO will let those people off with a warning. That's not true. And someone else says, nobody wants to see a drunk driver and having traffic stops for failing to obey traffic laws is how you catch them. Uh, Life is not fair, never has been, and never will be, uh, so get over it. Okay, boomer. 
and, and, and Ted Bundy was caught by a street cop. And Ted had a dead body in his car and talked his way out of being searched. So there's just some things that some people are saying online. I do want to change gears a little bit because I want to, we do need to get to the um, Mr. Moon scene. Um, his uh, talk about this case is Rajon Moon Singh, who was actually was shot last year back in November by Austin police officer. Uh, Mr. Rajon Moon Singh uh, thought that someone was actually inside of his home. And so he had an AR-15. He was standing out in the entrance of his home and he fired shots into his house. And at the time he fired those shots into his house, police had arrived on the scene because a neighbor uh, had actually, actually called police who actually was a private security officer for a house that was in the neighborhood. Called 911 to say this guy, you know, may have needed some mental uh, mental assistance or something of that nature and needed police for sure uh, because he thought that someone was inside the home. And the private security officer who did the 911 call was, you know, unsure about you know, whether or not Mr. Mr. Ray John actually was seeing something or he was hallucinating. And so when police arrived the scene, they heard those shots. Uh, they responded to the shots, ended up shooting Mr. Moon Singh and killing him. And so, Chris, you know, what's your take on all this? Yeah, well, you know, again, operating in the world that we have, which is a world where, you know, he had the right to own that gun. Uh, obviously, he's on his own property, uh, firing into his own home. Um, it, it's a very unjust killing. And particularly if you look at the footage, you know, the one of the things that really stands out is that the officer says, drop your weapon instantaneously after saying that he fires. Uh, Rajon had no opportunity to comply with that demand uh, at all. Um, so, you know, this this idea that, you know, that there's some mental health thing or anything going on, there's just no evidence for it and, and definitely should not have in any way influenced the, 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 you know, this person who didn't, this officer not identifying themselves, they didn't have their lights or sirens on when they approached the house, uh, they said, drop your weapon, and before a beat hit, they immediately fired and killed him. I, I feel like this is an area where, you know, people who do support, you know, expanded gun ownership rights, these are the types of cases where, you know, and Flando Castillo and people like that, where I really wish folks would speak up more. Because, you know, if if we're going to have this this place where we people can own guns and have them, conceal them, open carry, whatever it might be, and your ground laws, you can fire it on your own property. Like then, then we also have to stand up for when police violate their, those rights and and make sure that they they apply equally to everybody. And you actually cannot fire guns actually in the city limits of Austin, even on your own property. You can be in the county of Travis, but in the city of Austin, you cannot discharge a firearm. Just the mere fact you discharge a firearm in the city, you're actually committing a crime, and so you have to prove that you're justified. And so, uh, police arrive at the scene. Yes, and we tell people you know that take classes with us. That, you know, if you have to defend yourself, absolutely defend yourself. Uh, be aware of your surroundings at all times. Police arrive to the scene. You got to put the gun down immediately because the police are always going to focus on the gun. And the caller said that there are some issues going on. And that's the information that the law enforcement had of what the caller was actually saying. The caller said, hey, you know, this guy, you know, maybe having a mental breakdown or something of that nature. So he may need some mental assistance um, or services, mental services or something of that nature. And that was mentioned first by the caller. So that's why they were, you know, that's why that was actually an issue, you know, in the first place. 
I mean, I hear you. And again, not identifying themselves, not giving Rajana an opportunity to comply, to me, makes this uh, wholly unjustified. And and I'm really eager to see, you know, what the outcome of the internal investigation is. Um, in, in and I and I agree. I agree that the shooting was really quick, way too fast. They didn't didn't give him enough time to respond. I agree with that 100 percent because he needed time to comply. You, you once you give orders. You got to give it time for the orders to be heard and give the person time to comply. And, right. you know, they didn't give him a chance yeah, at all. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember when we brought this up, uh, I think it was last year, beginning of this year, I said this is eerily similar of a lot of police cases where it's like, drop the gun, bang, bang, bang. Right. No, no, you know, no time to even react or, like you said, Chris, they didn't identify themselves at all. They identified themselves. He just didn't hear. He well, didn't yeah, hear because right. <laughs> because he was in that entryway, you know. And that and when you're firing rounds with no ear protection, you know, oh, didn't give, didn't all, give a chance, right? Yeah, you're not going to hear. Identify anything. yourself, but didn't give a chance to react, right? Yeah. So yeah, definitely too quick. I agree with you on that one, one hundred percent. All right. So um, but gun ownership is a good thing, right, Chris? <laughs> I you know again, I'm I'm I think. There's many types of guns that how do we police not- how do we police our communities if we can't if I can't own a firearm to protect my mm-hmm. community if I can't own the firearm to protect protect my house so I think gun ownership is a great thing for all citizens uh, you know I think I think if we're going to have laws that protect the right of gun ownership they should just apply equally uh, that's 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 I think my overarching concern I think you know there are certain types of guns and that that don't seem to have productive uses outside of, you know, harming other humans. And I and I I think if it were possible to restrict, I don't do any hunting at all. All my guns are for self defense. Yeah, well, and, and again, in an, in a situation where everyone can have guns and they're easily accessible, I totally understand that. <laughs> I do, uh, and I think if it were possible to restrict certain types of guns from 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 being uh, proliferated throughout our society, then that would be ultimately the best case. Why would you do that? Why would you restrict certain types? Because they all do the same thing. Well, because certain types enable people to more quickly harm more people uh, and don't necessarily have other productive uses or could not, be easily... Not true. So there's no... You, you can harm the same amount of people with a handgun you can with a rifle. Uh, I mean, uh, I think, you know, weapons that are able to be very quickly fired versus those that, you know, are meant for shooting things more along range or more slowly fired. Are... They're, on, they're only going to fire as fast as that person can pull the trigger. Doesn't matter because they're all most they're all semi-automatic. So as fast as you can move your finger, you know, and ladies can understand this as fast as you can move that finger, you know, you'll get that round off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, again, I. Uh, Agree to disagree on this point. I think the societies that don't have, you know, gun ownership of certain types of guns, we see um, that they don't have um, anything close to what we have as far as the number of uh, mass shootings and 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 general gun violence. And so I think, again, if it were possible, and I and I'm, I'm and I'm not necessarily sure that it is, but if it were possible within our with our country and our society to, to limit them. I, I think that would be better. You're okay. talking about dismantling the second amendment here though. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the modern interpretation of the second amendment, uh, you know, which, you know, was really what 2008, the Heller versus DC case, 
I think, you know, it's a very, very new phenomenon. Uh, even the NRA really didn't take the current um, interpretation that it protects every individual's right to own, personally own and, uh, weapons until the, until the late 70s. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, there's firm legal basis on which that right exists. And, and again, I'm not necessarily saying that it should be completely abolished either. I'm just saying that if it were possible to keep certain types of guns out of society, that I think we'd have a safer society. I, I disagree because those, it, one, a handgun is not going to be any different than, than a rifle or, or a shotgun. And then we get caught up in the cosmetics of things because you have other rifles that will shoot the exact same bullet. People don't consider them, you know, a, a threat because they're, it, it looks brown. It's a brown rifle with wood on it. And then you have an AR-15 that, ha, you know, that it looks a little scarier, that shoots the same bullet, same caliber. And, you know, people are afraid of that because it's, it's cosmetics, I think, you know, just the way because it, it just looks scary. Um, so they, they both they all do the same thing. You know, and so I think education is the key. Um, I think the reason why we have gun laws in this country initially in the first place, you go back to the 1700s because they didn't want free slaves to have access to guns. Uh, so That's the right. more gun laws you create, you know, you're only going to affect certain type of people. So any new gun laws, any rules you put out there, they're going to only going to affect certain neighborhoods and certain people. So I, well, I, I don't think we need I, any laws, that, you know, that many laws at all. And I, well, and I agree with that piece. I think the way that gun control has been pursued historically in this country and, and often today has been highly discriminatory on purpose. And I, and I don't agree with that. I don't think that we should be. Uh, using people's prior history with uh, uh, what I see as racist criminal legal system as a basis for denying them uh, rights that we call fundamental in our country. Uh, I don't think that, um, you know, we should be criminalizing, you know, uh, gun ownership the way that it's done because we see what happens, that more black women are arrested in Chicago for gun ownership than white men, even though they own way, way more guns, right? Like, wh why is that? Because of where police patrol and how they execute these powers. I, th so, I think it's more because we, we're not educating our communities, you know, because the people that I'm seeing come to class and take a class of the white males, you know, they're coming to class, they're sitting in my class, my classes are packed on Saturdays, you know, and on Sundays, and they're filled with, you know, more with those people, you know, that we're talking about than the other side that we're talking about, because they're educating themselves, and I think education is the key. Um, I spend more of my resources and more of my time telling people, look, you got to understand what the laws are so that way you know what you can and can't do. People will shock you and surprise you. You sit down and talk to them and ask them a question about gun laws. They'll shock and surprise you. Oh, you know, I, it's, you know, it's okay for me to, you know, if I get pulled up by police to pull my gun out and put it on the dashboard, you'd be, you'd be shocked how many people think that's actually okay. Right, right. I mean, obviously, again, in, in the, in the world that we have with these gun rights and, and these gun laws, I think obviously education is extremely important. And, and I think one of the issues that you see with that as well, uh, which leads to, you know, I think in my mind, unjust criminalization is, is the access, right? Um, you know, oftentimes the, you know, the, maybe the cost for the license, if there's even a permit or license needed in many communities is low, but, you know, you got to, where can you go actually to get training? How much does it cost? What, how do you actually get there? What transportation do you have accessible to you? So again, if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a car, doesn't have certain things, then it, it becomes a situation where it's di more difficult for you to comply with these laws 
and people and, don't people don't they don't look people have the resources to get down get downtown sixth street to the club and party and have a drink and they can afford buying a drink then you can afford if you're going to carry a gun you can afford to educate yourself and make sure you know what the laws are so you don't get put in jail so if you can afford that drink of going down sixth street and party and getting to the club then you can afford getting your butt into a class and educating yourself so you don't go to jail anybody got anything to say to that I'll just say what uh, Chris said earlier. I'd like to live in a society where people don't use force and coercion to tell me what I can and can't do. And it, it's up to you. And it, it, it's going to be up to you. It's your choice um, to make that decision for yourself and decide, you know, hey, you know, you're going to be subjected to the laws of, of the state or the, you know, the county or the city. Zach? That's true. Yeah. Chris? I mean, you, you you know more about you know all the intricacies of this stuff than I do, and I, I will grant that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So um, you know, I, I'll just say I think you know there's there's still much to be desired about how these laws are enforced, and and I I, I just want if we're going to have these rights, uh, then they should exist equally for everybody. Yeah, and I th I think we definitely need to be careful because um, the more laws you you put out there they're only going to you know affect certain type of people those are the people uh like you said earlier you know you're you're we're sending police in the over police communities and those are the ones going to be affected by any new gun laws that we come down with if we decide to ban any guns at all they're only, it's only going to affect a certain group of people um in the, and the federal government's doing that right now you know the Biden administration's assigned to ban you know certain types of rifles and I'm already seeing certain people are being affected by the rifles that they're trying to ban um, right now, I have this huge case uh, going against the Department of Justice and the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the Cargill versus Garland uh, bump stock lawsuit. And just mm. this week, uh, the Department of Justice decided to they will well they were granted a, a request they were granted an opportunity to for us to not get our bump stocks back. And and if you, you're familiar with bump stocks, it's just a, a device that goes on the back of the rifle uh, so that a person can actually fire the rifle slightly faster than normal. And so and what happened was the federal government, the Department of Justice, the alcohol, tobacco and firearms decided to ban this piece, this part of a firearm. And they don't have the authority to do that. Only Congress can create a right law. So this week, Judge Ezra came out and granted the Department of Justice request uh, for an injunction that bump stocks would would remain banned uh, while the Supreme Court decides to take up this case. So we'll see what happens. Now the Cargill versus Garland case goes to the Supreme Court. If Supreme Court takes the case, uh, then it will be heard. And if they don't take the case, that case go, goes back down to the lower court. And so that means bump stocks should be legal in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi if it goes back down to the lower court. But right now... Uh, there's a stay. There's an injunction. If you have a bump stock, leave it in that boating accident. Don't recover it, you know, because um, it's illegal. You're in possession of a felon, a felony right now, so you can't have it because the federal government says that's illegal. So we have to wait until the U.S. U.S. Supreme Court hears this case. They take it up. They hear it. They rule on it, and then whatever they decide will be the law of the land. So uh, that's going to be your update on the bump stock lawsuit. We have also other cases. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about some of the good things. You know, they talk about things that, you know, should happen. You know, I, there are a lot of talk show hosts out there, uh, but I, I see very few people that are actually doing anything. We have so many different court cases that we have going on right now against the Department of Justice that called tobacco and firearms in federal court where we're trying to do something. And this I think that's the way it's done. And you know whose fault it is? 
it's going to be Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's going to be her fault. You know why? Because she didn't know when to quit. And because she didn't quit, now the, the, the court has shifted a little bit. And so it's going to be in, in the favor of pro-gun laws. Because she didn't know when, it, when her time was to quit. We come back from the break. We're going to talk about that and more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. This is Chloe on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we got just uh, man, a few minutes left. I want to see what you guys have to say in closing on what we've been talking about. You know, police accountability. Um, DPS, the state police assisting the Austin Police Department with their, you know, their shortage. You know, what's your take? In the road piracy, get back to community policing and hire police officers from within the community. Uh, in the war on drugs. And uh, let's just make sure that we can get Austin under control without, uh, without, you know, with actually focusing on victim crimes. All right. Zach? Yeah, if we're going to have less police or not have more police, then we have to handle these issues ourselves and be able to, you know, stop crimes in progress, especially against us with guns. So more training, more guns. All right. Chris? Yeah, um, let's focus on the root causes of things and we'll work on prevention as much as we can while obviously trying to intervene in, in active harmful uh, behavior when it happens. All right. And, you know, this 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 week they have the uh, the teenagers, the not teenagers, I'm sorry, the cheerleaders. The cheerleaders. Yeah, the cheerleaders. There are cheerleaders actually, I guess, traveling from somewhere in East, uh, East the Woodlands in Texas there from the Houston area, Woodlands or whatever. And they were passing through, coming back to Austin, um, actually stopped off in Maynard where they parked one of their vehicles. Um, and so the cheerleader thought that she was, I guess, going to her vehicle. Turned out it wasn't her vehicle. She actually got in the vehicle. When she got in the vehicle, it happened to be, there happened to be someone else's vehicle. And there's a guy on the passenger side. It turned out to be his vehicle. And for some reason, he was in the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, this whole thing is it's kind of weird. So, yeah, and then she freaked out, got out of the car, got back into her other friend's car. Yeah. And then the guy came over. And and some words were exchanged, threw his hands up, whatever that is, and then started firing shots. And then he pulled a gun out, and then they started to speed away, yeah. and that's when he started shooting at right. them. Uh, allegedly. Okay, let me throw that in there. Allegedly. Allegedly. All right, so, you know, a couple of things, you know, let's let's talk about. Let's talk about the Castle Doctrine. Castle Doctrine says that if someone enters your home, enters your vehicle, or your place of business unlawfully, you can use force of daily force to stop them. So I'm going to go back to, before we do that, let's talk about, you know, you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Uh, Whenever you decide to pull out your firearm and use it, you need to remember this. You have rights. You remember those rights. You have a right to remain silent. You have a right to an attorney. You have a right to have that attorney speak for you. And you might want to exercise that right before you speak to law enforcement. Because if you're involved in a situation, you're probably going to be nervous, you're shaking, you're scared. I guarantee you, you're going to say or do the wrong thing because you just experienced something you never experienced before in your life. You just fired a gun um, in defense of yourself, possibly. 
And guess what? You didn't have any ear protection on. All that and, you know, the pressure of what you just did is going to affect you and any statements that you may think you're trying to make to law enforcement. So exercise those rights, remain silent, let the police speak for you. Because if someone does enter your vehicle unlawfully, tries to remove you from vehicle unlawfully, you can use force to force to stop that person. Was this this situation here? I do not know. I'm just telling you what the law says. Now, a lot of people make the mistake of going to vehicles. It happens all the time. I think we need to settle down and relax uh, and not take things so personal because vehicles, you're in a public place. It's not uncommon for someone to walk up to a vehicle thinking it's their vehicle. Um, and do you truly think that this young lady was a threat enough that you're going to pull a gun out and fire it at her? You know, so you just have to ask yourself that and read the body language of people. We've got to understand each other a little better than that. Uh, so there's two sides to every story. We'll find out eventually what, what's going on here. Um, as this case gets a little closer to the court, you know, we'll see uh, or, you know, to a trial or whatever. As more information comes out, we'll see what happens. Um, as always, folks, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.